0: Welcome to Doha Debates. Each episode, we explore an urgent issue, present two opposing sides on that issue, and try to see where, if any, common ground can be found. We hope to bring you a conversation that's well-informed, spirited, but civil and respectful as well. I'm Karen Given, and today we're looking at the connection between happiness and work-life balance. Specifically, we want to know if happiness comes from hustling and maxing out your potential for earning and achieving, or if it comes from keeping things in balance and making sure your job serves your life goals, not the other way around. Before we introduce our guests, first, a little background. Let's zoom out on the concept of happiness that's at the center of this debate. The World Happiness Report, which is powered by Gallup poll data, aims to review the state of happiness in the world today. And while the report doesn't delve into the specifics of what kind of jobs result in the most happiness, it does point to social support, economic security, and work-life balance as contributing factors that lead to happiness. A large bank balance is not mentioned. But other Research provides some counterarguments. A study in 2021 by researchers at the University of Pennsylvania showed that the income happiness ratio never plateaus. In fact, happiness continues to grow as more money means more opportunities to do the things you love. And yet, in many high-income countries, more money can be associated with careers that demand longer hours, which may lead to lower rates of happiness. There's also an emerging generational divide when it comes to approaching work. A global study by Adobe found that millennials and Gen Z workers want more flexibility in their schedules, with about three-quarters of these employees saying they would switch jobs for a better work-life balance. The study also showed these workers highly value working remotely. There are some trends that describe different philosophies toward work. One is hustle culture, which promotes the idea that there's always more to strive for. It's about working hard to achieve your goals at the expense maybe of other things. On the flip side, there's a perhaps more measured approach, working to live as opposed to living to work, and finding ways not to let your job or career overwhelm your personal goals and the pursuit of happiness. So today we're going to ask, what actually leads to more happiness? Is it going the extra mile and maximizing our earning potential? Or are we better off prioritizing balance by setting clear boundaries between working hours and time off? And are these two things actually mutually exclusive? We're pleased to welcome two guests who have been doing a lot of thinking on work-life balance and what's required to feel successful in your career and in your life. I'm pleased to welcome Chris Guillebeau. He is the author of The Art of Nonconformity and hosts a daily podcast called Side Hustle School. He joins us from Portland, Oregon. Welcome, Chris.
1: Thank you. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Also with us is Jennifer Moss. She's a speaker and the author of The Burnout Epidemic, The Rise of Chronic Stress and How We Can Fix It. Her work focuses on finding solutions to helping people become happier in their lives by working smarter, not harder. She joins us from Toronto, Canada. Welcome, Jennifer.
2: It's great to be here.
0: We also have two global listeners who will chime in on today's discussion later in the debate. This conversation is about work but it's also about being healthy and finding balance and purpose. These are all really big ideas. but Jennifer, I want to start with you in your opinion, what is the optimal work-life balance?
2: There you know is lots of data around what is detrimental to our health when it comes to hours worked the World Health Organization says it's 55 hours plus it starts to put us at risk of not just burnout but in a long-term health issues is mentioned but when you think about the the kind of research around harmonious versus obsessive passion when it comes to work that's really what should be our filter and that's that point where the work life integration and the work life harmony is out of balance so if that's consistently where i'm working and never feeling like i'm getting ahead and always feel like i have more work to get accomplished then that's when it becomes obsessive and that's when we end up experiencing those physical negative physical impacts from overworking. So it's not this like specific hour that that we need to be thinking about more, it's where we're more in touch with when is it becoming a habit of overwork. All right, Chris, it's your turn
0: now. You have actually called work-life balance a myth used by corporations to make employees feel better. Tell us what you meant by that and also tell us why prioritizing work and working really hard can actually make us happy.
1: Yeah, I also don't think that there is an optimal number of, you know, hours per week. I think it depends on the goals that we have for ourselves, the season of life that we're in and such. But as for work-life balance, I think you know, the best you could say about it is that it's a myth. I think it's really more like a conspiracy. You know, it's a made-up idea by corporations to make their employees feel satisfied and to make their employees feel, you know, justified in giving the best hours of their week to a multinational corporation or to another institution as opposed to to giving their best you know their best years of their life the best hours of their week to themselves in some way and so i feel like companies are always like oh yes we have work life balance because you know you're going to give all of this to us all of this time and energy and such but once a week there's yoga or you know we put some snacks in the break room for you so now you have work life balance and so what i'm interested in doing is helping people think for themselves, you know, set the priorities that are important to them and then figure out, okay, how do I create alignment with that? I think most people are happiest when they are working on something that's important to them. And at times it's worth it to work extra hard or to put in those extra hours for something, especially if you're thinking short-term, long-term. Like if you're thinking, what do I want to achieve in my life? Okay. Maybe I need to actually, you know, for the next season or whatever the time period is, work more hours than I might another time because I want to achieve something that will be easier, better, more satisfying for me for many years to come. And so that's where hustle culture, I think, comes in.
0: Jennifer, what's your take on this? Because I think most of us, maybe all of us, would love to be in fulfilling jobs where we get paid to do what we want to do most to what we're most passionate about. But sometimes that's just not feasible. Some of us have obligations to our family or need to pay off loans or you know, simply aren't able to land these jobs that are our dream jobs that might be highly competitive. But on the other hand, if we don't keep striving to land our dream job or to do, as Chris says, and create something for ourselves. Are we quitters who haven't given up on our dreams?
2: So it's interesting what Chris is saying, because for me, I think meaning can come from any um, sort of goal. We could get meaning out of getting a paycheck. There's lots of people that get meaning out of being paid every week, and that should be something that's valuable to them. For them. Being able to provide for their family is extremely meaningful. So it doesn't mean that you know getting paid is there's anything wrong with it. And we we just need to figure out how to extrapolate meaning. And so the, some of the things that I you know spend time talking about is you know how do we create sort of the the job crafting way of looking at our our work. I mean, there's great study that looked at. Uh, those uh, in healthcare that were actually working in maintenance and some of them were calling themselves patient ambassadors and they were getting paid the same. They were doing the exact same work. You know, they were, they were looking at their job differently and that's what those patient ambassadors did. And that ended up increasing life satisfaction, job satisfaction. They cared differently about the patient. They cared differently about their work, but was the work different? No, it was just interpretation. So I think, you know, we can f- find meaning in anything that we do, but we can do that without having to overwork. And, and that's the thing for me that I think from the burnout epidemic and the stuff that I write about is, you know, avoiding the concept of hustle culture where it's above and beyond and you're working to the point where you're unwell. Um, you don't need to do that to have a life well lived.
0: Yeah, Chris, where do you put a limit on that? Because burnout is real. Like, I think many of us have experienced it. And so, you might be doing a a job because you like it. You might be doing a side hustle because it brings you something. But those are still hours out of your day away from your family and away from being able to really take care of yourself.
1: Of course. You know, during the months that I was trying to, to kind of build this new business and kind of extrapolate myself from the situation I was in before with the day job you didn't really love, et cetera, is that it was really hard and there's not a magic answer. And I was tired for a little while, but you know, I actually was able to do this and now I'm so glad I put in that effort. Like I did have to sacrifice. I did have to embrace some challenge, but now my life is better because of it. And so I think for people who are feeling that struggle, like I'm absolutely sympathetic to it. I understand and I don't want to tell them this is exactly how you do it. But I will say you have to think about how will your life be different in a year if you do nothing? Like if you're in this situation where you're already feeling stressed, you're just going to continue being stressed if you don't change your situation. And I always think of this old quote about, you know, nothing changes unless you do. So somehow we have to change to not just accommodate somebody else's system, but to do something to that that advances what's important to us.
0: Jennifer, this all sounds great, but it also sounds exhausting and it sounds like a lot to live up to for people who are trying to balance, you know, the real needs of their families, feeding their families, keeping their families with the roof over their heads and exploring these other ideas.
2: I mean, where do you fall in all of this? So, you know, I think what Chris is actually saying is maybe an ideal version of hustle culture that where we're. I think it it almost needs to be defined by something else. I mean, I like the idea, what Chris is saying, because the idea of that sounds like okay, well, you can ebb and flow and there's balance, but typically hustle culture is not balanced. It's created an imbalance. We're seeing, you know, people logging in more overtime, almost 9.2 more hours of unpaid time that they're working on these types of projects that they're not you know necessarily benefiting from and when you look at that per week we're already working 30% more each day to hit our pre-covid goals because we're dealing with burnout and brain fog so if we are looking to you know really examine the idea of hustle culture we have to be real about what that means for people and typically it actually means burnout. It means working those extra hours, not just at peak periods in the year. It usually means that they're working on it persistently. And the amount of people that are actually benefiting from their side hustle is shown to be a rare kind of event not a lot of people actually end up making money from this side hustle and people also say that they don't feel as satisfied doing that work than they did when it was a hobby and if we want to actually increase our happiness set points so this is Tal chahar's shahars research what he says is we should be spending two hours at least on our hobbies every single week and that means that's unpaid focus on just the things that make us happy so if we're now turning that time that we should be just, you know, putting into our hobbies, that thing that's increasing our happiness set points. And we're working on projects that have statistically unlikely chance of being revenue generating or actually contributing to that overall plan of our, you know, career uh, long success or a lifelong success, then it ends up detracting from our happiness. So I think Coming up with a different way of thinking about how do we do this in a balanced way is great, but when we look at what it really means for people and why people have been attracted to it and think that they can, everyone can make it and it's this American dream and that reality is a myth, that's where I think the danger of language is really playing a role in what people are choosing to pursue and the likelihood of it being truly realized for them.
0: Chris, why can't we just let our hobbies be our hobbies? Why do we have to take them on on side hustles and make more money and that that is what's going to make us happy?
1: We absolutely can let our hobbies be our hobbies. In fact, not every hobby makes for a good side hustle. I also you know, would not encourage someone to persist in something that is not working. So if someone is spending 10 hours a week you know on the same project or towards the same endeavor and it's not working you know week after week well they need to make a change you know ultimately they need to do something something different but jennifer used this phrase you know ideal version you know she said you know maybe this is the ideal version of of hustle culture or the idealized version i think i think that's you know maybe we're looking at an idealized version of society in some ways because the idealized version of society is that nobody has nobody has to work more than x hours a week and everybody has security and People can just trust that there's a good job for themselves after they, you know, undertake their education, that they're going to be able to pay off their student loans and such. But obviously, like we know that that's not the case. And, and young people know that's not the case more than anyone. And young people have seen, you know, that they have tens of thousands of dollars in debt, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. They've just seen kind of the rug pulled out from underneath them, at least in the United States, in terms of the loan forgiveness program. And... You know i guess the question i always have is what is the alternative you know for them like what what should they do if they should not you know try to find a way to make a better living for themselves then what then what is the answer and i i don't know a better answer and so if there was an idealized society um then perhaps everybody could do what they want and we could spend as many hours as we want on hobbies and not everyone needs to be an entrepreneur or necessarily has to be in such, but in the world that we live in, like I like to look at things the way they are, not the way that we would like them to be. I think it is important. And I think young people recognize the importance of, of finding that security. Um, and then the last thing I want to say is, does it work? Does it not work? Well, it works for a lot of people and there are tools, there are so many resources these days. It's so much easier than it used to be. You know, 20 years ago, I started working for myself and I didn't know a lot of other people that were working online. Uh, but now obviously there's so many resources free resources. So you don't even have to pay for anything to learn about all kinds of different businesses and e-commerce is huge and so many different products and services people could offer. So it's a really exciting time and it doesn't mean that everyone's going to become rich doing it. so if that is what somebody's putting forward, then I would completely disagree with it. But I do think there is something that everyone can do. and a lot of my work is trying to show different examples and kind of lead people along a path that is replicable, that is possible, that is feasible for them.
0: We're going to bring in our global listeners soon, but before we do, Jen, I'm going to bring myself in here. I know that I am completely capable of burning out while hustling for myself. Does hustling for yourself remove the issue of burnout and all the problems it brings?
2: No and you know it's I love that you asked that because you, we're actually the most at risk you know we're we're high performing people we tend to if we are doing something that we're emotionally connected to which is there's a lot of really good data to say the more we're connected to it the more it you know it it drives purpose and meaning which is also helpful for our happiness and I don't think we can separate hustling for yourself and like running your own business or starting up a company I mean you can't you can't really separate that I mean your your startup it's your startup or your company that you're building it's it still is for yourself but also the company and po- possibly the people that you're you know that are in your company that you're leading and I have a very difficult time setting boundaries because I want to you know, do everything. I want to do it quickly. I want everyone to, you know, be at the same pace as me. I, I like, I love it and I'm married to it at times. And it's like this relationship that is both healthy and dysfunctional. And I think the reality is that we are hustling for ourselves, but we have to get better at recognizing that we are, we are very at risk of burning out. I, in my company that was a startup, I burned out in that startup because I wasn't, you know, managing my own employee behavior. I wasn't the the CEO saying, "Jen, you know, in your job, you probably have to take a break and take vacation. No one does that for you, so you're the one that has to do that for yourself." And so, I think there's an ideal of of hustling for ourselves that sounds lovely and I I would love, I'm better at it now, but the idea that you don't people aren't going to burn out from it or it's not going to impact them or it's not going to be toxic that i think is a fallacy and it's something that i have you know can say from from personal experience is a, a difficult challenge to achieve
0: chris you're nodding your head so i know you agree with jen on this point so how do we avoid it how do we avoid burning out while hustling for ourselves
1: Yeah, I mean, no, it's a it's a good point. I also think it's a it's a good problem to have, you know, it's, it's not that it's not a problem, but it's a good problem to have in in any relationship. Now you use that analogy in any relationship, you're going to have ups and downs, you're going to have problems, you need to kind of work them out. But um, I think a lot of us are also at our happiest when we are evolving and growing and adapting and being open to change. At least that's been the case for me. Uh, And so for me, sometimes, you know, even though I know that that, that's true, it's very easy to settle into like, this is the pace of what I've been doing and it works a little bit. So I might as well keep doing it. So maybe being open to change is good. But, you know, again, I, I just think it's a it's better to have this problem than to have the problem of, you know, relying on somebody else to provide economic security and also hopefully make me happy at the same time.
0: All right. Let's bring in our global listeners to this discussion. First, joining us from Nigeria is Fazia Zakaria. Welcome, and what's your question for our panel? It's been lovely
1: to hear. Um, it's because I'd like to say that like Nigeria has a sort of hustle culture. You hardly see someone with just one job. You have a nine to five, and then there's a little business and you're selling something on the side. And I think that like, it's one of the traits I admire in us, but at the same time, it's always like, um, what is that point? How can you find the balance? So like, what is the limit? Or what would you say is the balance of when to stop to say en- enough of the hustle, it's time to rest, it's time to be with my community, be with my family. This is the time or this is the limit. So I guess that's my question.
2: Jen, why don't you go first? I, yeah, I love this question because it's a very difficult and nuanced, you know question that i think a lot of people that are either you know all in where it's something that they're doing all all day long or that's and they're focusing on this is their their main role or that they're doing it on the side both have to have a really clear strategy in the first place to say when is this point where i'm going to be completely emotionally removed where i haven't hit a certain threshold and that is something that a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of people that are starting their businesses don't do. If you have something really early on, that says, okay, I'm going to put this much time into it every week and I'm not going to go over. I'm going to put this much of my money into it and not go over. I'm going to be at this stage where I have these expect expectations. So you want to give yourself a year or two years or whatever you think you you are willing to, to commit to and have timelines and goals. And if you don't hit those timelines line, time and goals over a, you know, a period of time and you're continuing to miss them, there is a point where you put a big ask. On that point of your plan and say, I have to decide to recognize that for whatever reason, it's not my fault necessarily. It's sometimes just the market, or it means that we're in a time where people aren't ready for the product yet. It could be something that, you know, down the line they're just can't wait for. Maybe it's that we don't, you know, have the right resources or the people in place to be able to support our plan. And that's okay. But that asterisk says, okay, no emotion. This is the time where I have to leave. Um, because if not, our marriage just like a relationship to that kind of work, it's very difficult to separate from. Um, When you're in it and you have a lot of emotion attached to it, it's it's almost like your baby that you've raised. And and because you love it so much as a hobby or whatever it is that you did before, you want to end that relationship before you can't be friends with it afterwards. So you don't want to make it so that you hate that thing that you used to love because then you feel demoralized. Um, So creating boundaries around that and making sure that the moment where it feels like it's work and it doesn't feel like you're enjoying it anymore, then that's also a big sign to let it go and have it be what it used to be, which was a place of, you know, joy and purpose and meaning in your life.
0: Chris, I'd really love you to pick up off of that because you have told us all the great benefits of having these side hustles that we can find financial stability with and find joy in. But what happens when they don't work out, when they fail? Like, how do you marry that with your ideas of side hustles are a great thing?
1: Yeah, well, I'd love to pick up on it because when something isn't working, you should stop doing it. I think that's the the bottom line. If something is not working, and it can also be not just that it's not working, it can also be that your heart is not in it and it's becoming something that's difficult or a burden to you. It should be a joy to you. You know, if it is not a joy, then it's a burden. And maybe it's okay to carry a burden for a brief amount of time, you know, if there's some financial incentive or some other reason why you need to do it. But in the long term, I think most of us are gonna be happier when we're doing something that we are excited to do, whatever form that takes and whatever kind of structure that takes. Now, I used to live in West Africa. so I really love the question from Nigeria. I was in Liberia for a year and Sierra Leone for a year and uh, elsewhere in the region for two other years. And I always always use this as an example of like the times that I spent in villages in Sierra Leone and go around because everyone is an entrepreneur there and everybody is working for themselves one way or another because there is so little formal economy. And so I find that very admirable. But to the point of, you know, when is it time to stop and stuff, I think it's so important for everybody to have an answer to the question of like, why do you get up today and like, what are you working on that, that matters in your life? And, you know, I th- it's so admirable as well that young people are thinking like that now because I think that hasn't always been the case. Uh, or for people of any age, you know, to be asking themselves that question. I think a lot of people don't have a good answer to like, why do you do the thing that you do every every day? And once you have an answer to it, like once you know, oh, this is a purpose, maybe it's not my life purpose. Maybe it's not, this is everything about the course of my life, but it's like, here's what I should do now, you know, for this time, it matters to me. That honestly makes everything else so much easier. It doesn't mean that these problems don't exist. It just makes it much easier to manage because The hardest thing is when you're not sure why you're doing something, and you don't actually feel purposeful or meaningful for it, and you have the economic struggles on top of everything. And so then you might be in this place of, oh, I have to work 80 hours a week or 100 hours a week, but it's not even connected to something that ultimately brings you joy and and purpose. So that to me is the the highest value for sure, however you get there.
0: Also with us is Alanoud Akidi, media and politics graduate, joining us from Qatar. Alanude, what's your question? Hi, so my question for the both of you is that I noticed that hustle culture can cause a very malicious kind of competitiveness between colleagues. Even if it's not started by your own self or intentions, how can you avoid and manage to pass by these kinds of scenarios as it can cause a very negative impact on mental health? and lead to push to burnout for some that never even thought of being competitive between their colleagues in the first place jen you took the last one first so chris why don't you go first this time
1: yeah that's a great question thank you for raising it i think uh, whenever we are comparing ourselves to others ultimately it's a recipe for being miserable and so what you have to do instead of comparing yourself to others is you have to you know compare yourself to yourself and say, well, here's what I want to do, not in relation to someone else, but here are the goals that I have. And there may be these external factors that affects industry and affects you know, different opportunities. But as long as I'm focused on myself and how I can advance myself, better myself, improve myself, position myself in different ways, and not worry so much about what other people are doing, I think ultimately you will be happier.
2: Jen? So I think that what we find inside of organizations. And again, this is, you know, this is hustle culture does expand across corporate. It expands in all industries. It expands in entrepreneurial, which shows up in you know, our life. And I think self-comparison and what Chris is saying is a very unfortunate issue that we've seen increase even more especially with the prevalence of social media there's a lot of self comparison and it's creating a loneliness epidemic it's making us very unhealthy but inside of organizations unfortunately the idea of hustle culture has been to propagate competitiveness amongst people and amongst peers and you know i might think that i can be at work and and show up and i can put in that extra time and And I am going to be promoted because that is what the mechanisms are right now is for people to be promoted by being seen at work, why we're seeing so much return to office in these high production, high competitive environments where it's, I want to see you because we have a large group of senior executive leaders and CEOs that are fitting one demographic of persona raised inside of, you know, a culture of be seen then be promoted which tends to only fit another demographic you know of of white males and so what we're unfortunately seeing is that it's creating this real delta between those who are working remotely, which tends to be more women right now. 41% of women worked from uh, remotely major- majority of the time last year versus 28% of males. And when you see this, again, this competitiveness, there's separation amongst people and, and then you add hustle culture as the language around that it just disenfranchises groups. And so we need to start looking at what is celebrated in the workplace. people taking you know the time that they need to get productive rest should be celebrated versus the person that's always there in the office. the person that disconnects as part of the the social norms that we've all created inside of our organization is celebrated versus the people that you know are constantly checking in we, we have to celebrate the behaviors that we want to see because competitive environments we see are less likely to be, you know, revenue as, as successful from a revenue generating standpoint, from a shareholder value. It's the shared collaborative goals, non competitive uh, ways of working together, shared um, metrics that actually make organizations more profitable. So the competition and that idea of hustle culture as pinning people against each other is not good for business. And it's also not good good for diversity. It's not good for making workplaces friendly for women. It's continuing to make sure that there's certain types of people being rewarded and others being ignored.
0: Chris, I'm curious, does your concept of having, you know, sort of these side hustles, side jobs, something else that you're focusing on, can it be helpful in these situations too to have somewhere else that you're getting some joy from?
1: I think absolutely. I think that's one of the primary benefits. I think, you know, in our in our day job, whatever our primary commitment is, then we're using certain skills, we're working with certain people, we're communicating in a certain way. And we have other skills and other kinds of communication and maybe more, we're more outgoing or more introverted. And we're kind of drawing on a certain energy, you know, for what we do for one of those tasks. And so if we do something a little bit different for the other task, it often, you know, makes you happier to use a different part of your brain or to do something that's a little bit different. Or if you're always working on the computer, you know, doing something that's a little bit more hands-on or artsy can be helpful or vice versa. So I think, yes
0: always in these debates we give our panelists the chance to say what they what the other person said that they most agreed with Jen what is the thing that Chris has said today that you are most going to walk away with and agree with
2: yeah it's been it's been a pleasure we definitely haven't walked away wanting to I think to uh to like think that the other is completely wrong or I, th- I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of what Chris said that I agree with and that you know if we're thinking of the best case scenario for hustle culture, it is that we're, we're doing that work for ourselves. And then sometimes that ebbs and flows and, you know, sometimes it's going to be hard work and, and that it's just about maintaining balance. But I have to say that I wouldn't change a thing about my, you know, job. I love my job so much. And even though there's times where I probably am part of the hustle culture, I wouldn't change a thing. So I think what and like I loved about what Chris is saying is just that you can have your kind of your cake and eat it too. You just have to be really careful that you don't burn out. And Chris,
0: same question to you: What is it that you'll walk away from this conversation with and say that was a good point by Jen? I should I should push it out there some more.
1: Absolutely, several things. Several things. No, I really enjoyed it, and uh, I, I've definitely learned a lot from Jen in, in this conversation. And I like what she said about you know the ideal version of things and i think you know jen you, you are the ideal version of someone who has built a life for yourself and a job for yourself that reflects you know your your skills your unique talents your ambitions something you enjoy right this is this is the goal right like you have you have followed a passion and you have aligned it with skills and and found a way to make it valuable to other people as well like that to me is 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 the goal it's like the exemplary um, of all of that. So uh, several things, but that's that's the first one I thought of.
0: Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you, everyone. Thanks to our guests, Chris Guillebeau and Jennifer Moss. And thanks to our global listeners, Alanud Akhidi and Fazia Zakaria. Thanks for listening to Doha Debates. I'm your host, Karen Gibbon. Doha Debates is a production of Qatar Foundation. Our podcast is produced by FP Studios and Doha Debates. Our producers include Julian Haida, Mandy Lester, and Claudia Tatey. And special thanks to James Wally. FP Studios Managing Director is Rob Sachs. Our executive producers are Katrine Dermody, Jayfit Weeks, Amjad Tala, and Jigar Mehta. To learn more about Doha Debates, please head to DohaDebates.com, where you can find out more about our other podcasts, short films, upcoming events, and more. Please follow and review this podcast, share it with someone, and see what they think of the arguments you just heard. So until we meet again, I'm Karen Given. Thanks for listening.